Good morning. Turn with me to uh, Acts 2, and we're going to drop down to verse 42. Those who had been baptized devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you will show me the face of the earth. And God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit can instruct the hearts of the faithful, granted by the same Holy Spirit, we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations. In Christ our Lord. Amen. Community is something many people want, but not many have. Studies suggest that about half of Americans have less than three close friends, with around 13% having 10 or more close friends. This is way different than what it was in 1990, when around a third of the population had less than three close friends, and about a third also had 10 or more close friends. In these verses, we see a community, a community of believers who helped each other with all their needs, we all desire and need to be in a community like that. That's why everyone should be a part of one. Everyone should be a part of a church. Now, church is something many Christians see as an option. And others see as the bare minimum for being a Christian. But in reality, church is not enough. These verses show us the beginning of Christianity. These verses tell us the minimum for being a Christian. And sure, going to church is one of them, but just going to church on a Sunday morning, it's not enough. You need to be involved in the church. You should be in a small group or a volunteer group. You gather, and then you scatter. The Christians in these verses gathered twice a day. This was the beginning of the church, and they were already meeting more than most of the Christians in America meet per week. Some of the Christians in America won't even go to church once a week. How did we go from two or more times a day to not even once a week? Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to forsake the assembly of Christians. In other words, we need to be in church with other believers. We need to be fellowshipping with these people. We need to be listening to the pastors or whoever's preaching. It is what the earliest Christians did. It is what we're called to do today. So it's important for us to get together with the community of believers every Sunday and fellowship with them and listen to the words of the speaker. But what about if you're on a trip? Because then surely you get an exemption, right? Well, let me tell you a story. Around two years ago, me and my family went on a trip all the way out west, all the way to California. And we were gone for a few Sundays. We didn't go to church the first week. I mean, we still sang in the car and watched the service, you know, on the TV we have in there. And then Blakely, my younger sister, passed out and had to be taken to the emergency room. We didn't go the next Sunday. We still, you know, sang and watched the service. And then our van broke down. 
Now, I'm not a superstitious person most of the time, but we thought that meant we were supposed to be in church. So we went to church the next Sunday, and you might not believe it, but nothing bad happened. <laughs> when we followed God's command, our trip reflected our obedience. And then around a year ago, me and my family went all the way up north, all the way to Maine. And because of the previous year, you know what we did every Sunday we weren't home? We were in a church with a group of believers. Amen. It wasn't this church. And those churches certainly weren't independent Methodist churches. They had different beliefs and customs. But we still worshipped Jesus with them. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Right. It's not just a pastor and his family who are called to do that. All believers are called to meet with other believers. And echoing what my father said last week, we don't just listen to the words of the speaker. We listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say yeah. in our lives. When God put the burden on my heart to raise up the next generation in Christ, I was in a worship service. I don't remember what was said, and I hardly remember who spoke. I only remember what God said to me. I remember looking over the young people who were praying at the feet of Jesus and being clearly told to raise up the next generation in Christ. This happened while I was in a worship service. That doesn't mean God only calls people during a worship service. He calls you anytime. But it's still important to get to church so you can focus solely on the Holy Spirit and his words. That's why God specifically calls each and every one of you to go to church. I see that all of you are here today. So congratulations, you passed step one. Now for step two, communion. The third thing the early Christians did was break bread. They did this in remembrance of Jesus. They did it because he told them to. And by extension, he told us to. That's why we take communion. We take it because that's what we were commanded to do. By Jesus himself. He was also kind enough to tell us what it means. He told us that the body, or his body, is the bread. Now that might be confusing. I'm sure it's difficult to understand. But just like a lot of the other things Jesus says. But what it means is that the bread represents Jesus' body. When we eat the bread in communion, we aren't meant to remember how Jesus came down. Uh, Jesus, uh, we aren't meant to, sorry, we are meant to remember how Jesus came down in a physical body. He didn't come down as a spirit and make everything right in the world. He came down and looked like an average person of that time period in that area. And he sacrificed that body willingly. That body was in risen from the dead. That's what you're supposed to remember whenever you eat communion. And the cup represents his blood, which was poured out for all of us. It represents his death on the cross, how he bled and died. It shows that he is fully human, but he was also fully God. So he easily could have just made, you know, he made it to where he didn't feel any pain. But he, he did feel pain. He even felt fear. He felt anger. He felt sadness. You know, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. The cup and communion represents how Jesus was a human. Blood the same way we bleed and died the same way we will all eventually die. We take communion to remember these things. We take communion so we don't forget 
what Jesus did on the cross. We take it so we never forget how God became flesh and died for each and every one of our sins. After Jesus died, communion became a sacrament. Sacraments differ between different denominations, but through all the denominations, the two sacraments that remain are communion and baptism. And we put water on our foreheads to remember our baptism whenever we take communion here. These are the two staples in the church that have been there from the very beginning. And Jesus did both of these. Jesus was baptized. It's actually where his ministry started. And he did the first communion in the upper room before he died. Jesus ate a lot, and I ate a lot too. (laughs) We uh, get brought together with food. And I know that if we didn't eat food around my house, there really wouldn't be a time when we were all together and we hung out. Our lives are really busy with work, school, sports, and hanging out with our friends that we hardly have a time when we're all together. But around the table, we all sit down and talk. That's what we often do here at church. When we have an event, we'll go and eat together. And Jesus ate with a lot of people. He even ate with people that didn't believe the same things as him. These verses tell us that people not only partook in the breaking of the bread, they also invited people into their homes and ate together. I know that my parents really like to invite people over. It's a really good way to share your faith with non-believers. It's exactly what Jesus did, and if we're meant to be like him, we should do what he did. Eating around a table is different from communion. That's why there's a a distinction between breaking bread and partaking in food in these verses. It's because communion is more serious. It's a time when we eat Jesus' body and drink his blood. It's important to remember what Jesus did for you. So I challenge you today, whenever we take communion, to take it seriously. Don't make it just another thing we do in church. Think about the significance and remember Jesus while you take it. Now for the last thing Luke tells us the early Christians did, it's prayer. Prayer is something that a lot of people think they don't know how to do. But if you can have a conversation, then you can pray. Because that's all that prayer is. A conversation between you and God. The living God. The creator of the universe and everything in it. That sounds pretty intimidating. And it (laughs) certainly is. And some people, when they pray, don't know how to talk to God. Because of that, so they don't pray. If you don't know how to pray, then instead of not praying, a great thing to do would be by starting out with the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus commands us to pray. That's why we say it when we take communion, which we'll be saying that prayer in a few minutes. Some people only pray when they need something. I know that whenever I was younger, I really just prayed whenever I was told to or when something bad was happening or I wanted something. Now, there's there's nothing wrong with praying during those times, but instead of just praying during those times, You should pray all the time. Now, you may may be confused about how this is even possible. It's possible because prayer isn't just asking God for something. It's a conversation. And the way that you pray forever is to make this conversation ongoing. I challenge you, sometime this week, to have a day whenever you pray, whenever you wake up. But instead of, you know, ending the prayer like you normally would, don't end it. 
Just continue getting ready, and then pray, pray before you eat, and then continue this throughout the day. And every time you even think about praying, in your head or out loud, it doesn't necessarily have to be long, or you don't have to have your eyes closed, your hands together. During this day, pray in the car, pray at work, pray in bed, live in a constant state of prayer, and then fall asleep praying. It'll make your attitude throughout the day a lot different, and your prayer life will be improved. Because prayer is powerful, and it works. You may not think it works because what you prayed for didn't happen. But when you think that way, you forget that God can say no to your prayers. If it's not in his will, he does not have to grant it to you. God doesn't always do exactly what we want. When it says that if you pray for something, God will grant it, it doesn't mean that he will give you whatever you want. This kind of thinking is wrong. Imagine if your kid came up to you and asked you for something you knew would harm them. Would you give it to them? Of course you wouldn't. You know what's best for them. The same way God knows what's best for you. And what's best for us is to always be in church. Every opportunity we get. Because that's whenever our eyes and our ears and our minds are most tuned to hear God. Maybe today's the day. The day that you feel like God is trying to tell you something. Maybe he's knocking. Will you open it? Will you accept him? Will you listen to his instructions? When you do, you see why communion should be taken seriously. And you begin to pray without ceasing. So in the future, if you're on the fence about whether to go to church or not, just go. The worst thing that can happen is you spend your morning hanging out with fellow believers. And the best thing that can happen is that your life changes in unimaginable ways.